ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of the Lashing Out Podcast. He's Kevin Creeley. I'm Jared Pergar. Kevin, we are talking about Iowa. Yes, we're talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers jerseys of the Midwest. And what always seems to be a tough contest, no matter where. But the good news is this year, they escaped Kinnick and Kinnick Magic and the lore of Kinnick Stadium. And they're playing them in Happy Valley on a team night. Yeah, and hopefully that asshole fan who was faking the Clifford shoulder injury uh, the last time Penn State played Iowa in Kinnick. Uh, doesn't make the trip over to State College. It'll be a 7.30 p.m. kick against CBS. So a game with a lot of anticipation. It's week four. I don't know how competitive it's going to be, but anytime you get a primetime game, there's going to be build up around it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a good early season matchup. It's It helps, you know, that September slate is not fun um, for Penn State. And you start out with West Virginia, and then Iowa is also there. And it's just not a good time. But at the same time, Iowa is known for their for their offense and it being absolutely not existent um, more often than not. So it'll be interesting to see what Kirk Ferentz and Brian Ferentz can draw up. You know, this is going to be an early season divisional matchup that I think has the makings of being um, – a tough, a tough test, but Penn State usually handles Iowa pretty well at home. Yeah, and this, like you mentioned, their offense averaged seventeen point seven points per game last year. Not a very good offense, but Caden McNamara transfers in from Michigan to Iowa. He should be pretty familiar with the team, at least via film study. Um, so you know he's had the full off season. He'll have the full off season by the time September comes around to get familiar with that. Um, so hopefully for Iowa's sake, they have a little bit of a better offense this year, but this is going to be a defensive team and it's just going to be a matter of how well does Penn State offense handle their defense. Yeah. And the beauty of it is for Penn State, they get Iowa in a whiteout early in the season. Weather should not be an issue. McNamara has some film on him against Penn State, if I'm not mistaken. So this is not, there's not going to be a quarterback that they're not familiar with. Um, and I think Iowa's offense is pretty basic enough. But again, it's it's going to be a defensive matchup, and it's going to be another early test for Drew Aller because you – and like I said before, you've got West Virginia, then you've got Delaware, then you've also got um, – Illinois. Illinois, and then Iowa, and then you round out the month at Northwestern. So, I mean, that's not it, – it's – it's a wild schedule, you know, five games in the month of September, but at the same time, you know, they should have a pretty early, you know, view of where they stand in the conference. Yeah. And they get those five, those five games in September, excuse me. And then they go straight into a bye week So it'll be good. You know, Iowa is definitely the most challenging opponent that they'll face in the month of September, but you get through Iowa We'll talk about Northwestern and the lack of a game that it should be uh, the next week, and then they're off for a week, and then they get a tune-up game against UMass. So if they get past Iowa, get to 4-0, and they get to 5-0 and against Northwestern, take a bye week, 
and then get to six no against you six no against UMass before facing Ohio State. So I I like where the bye week falls. I like where the Iowa game falls. Drew Aller's gonna have a couple night games. They're both at home, but I October twenty first at Ohio State is that going to be a night game or a three thirty game? Like that is going to be a big environment no matter what. I'd unless Fox puts it at big noon kickoff, but yeah, Iowa is going to be a good test for him. And I mean, that might be the most competent defensive line Penn State's going to face besides an Ohio State or a Michigan. So he's going to get used to people being around his feet. The offensive line maybe not holding up as much as they did against Illinois and Delaware and West Virginia. So I think it will be a good test. I don't think it'll be a challenge for Penn State to win this game, but it'll be a good test for uh, future knowledge. Yeah, and you mentioned Ohio State. That game is they're scarleting the shoe, which is essentially a red out. So I would imagine they're not going to want that game to be at noon. That's going to be a 3.30 or a primetime kick. Um, I would imagine that's going to be prime time. I, I see no reason why it shouldn't be um, just because that is a game that everybody has marked on their calendar. Um, and that's going to be the big game, especially if they're both undefeated, which there's a very good chance that there, that there will be. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how things play out and, and what that does to that game time. But that's another, you know, that's a mid-October game or late October game where Penn State is heading into Columbus and both teams have a lot at stake in the conference. And that will be the litmus test for the first half of the season for the Nittany Lions. Yeah, it certainly will. I looked at Ohio State's schedule real quick. They play Notre Dame week four. That's pretty much it. But they do have to go to Purdue the week before they play Penn State. So that could be interesting because I feel like Ohio State at Purdue is not a very good success rate. So, um, but yeah, back to Iowa. Um, Eight and five last year. They brought in the seventh ranked Big Ten recruiting class this year uh, for the 2023 cycle. So I don't really see the talent increasing a lot around that program. And I think this is a game like Penn State is just going to handle their business as long as they can keep Iowa's defense in check. So uh, I like the test for Penn State. I do too. And I think Penn State wins. And I think it, it'll be a, a very fun to see how Aller performs in the bright lights of the whiteout. I know obviously things are a little bit different against West Virginia first game of the season at home under the lights. But it's always going to be different when you have a, a, a program like Iowa coming in for your first whiteout as a quarterback, it's just a completely different environment, even if it is the same time and the same stadium. But we're going to come back after this quick break and talk a little bit more about the baseball program and Pat Kraft and what he's been doing to the athletic department as a whole since he arrived at Penn State on the Lashing Out podcast with the Sports Now Network. Podcast and the Sports Now Network. He's Kevin. I'm Jared. Kevin, Pat Kraft has made his presence known in a big way throughout his tenure at, at Penn State. It's been short, yet it's been poignant. You know, he's trying to get more NIL. He was willing to do whatever it took to keep Michael Shrewsbury. Then he gets uh, Mike Rhodes. And it's that shows that he's willing to do whatever it takes. He went out and got 
um, Mike Ambino. And that is a guy who he had when he was the AD at Boston College. But Gambino is a Boston co- former Boston College player. And then he was there for over a decade. And he had just signed a five-year extension in June. Which, yeah. To go out and get a guy like that, that is huge. It really is. And like you mentioned, he'd been there since 2011. Um, if you look on paper, it doesn't look like the best record. He's got a combined record of 291 and 366. But it's Boston College. It's a northern, northeastern school. Northeastern schools aren't good at baseball. And he took Boston College to Super Regional once and the NCAA Regional this past season. So he can have flashes of success. And really, I mean, Boston Boston College does have the Red Sox in their backyard, but like that's not really paying in to college baseball. And yeah, it's Penn State. I don't. It's not probably not much of a better baseball market. Um, besides maybe being able to build a relationship with the uh, state college minor league team and build up the relationship that way versus with maybe the Boston. I don't know if you're building much relationship with the Red Sox in college. So maybe from that perspective, it's probably a potentially little bit better baseball environment, but that just shows you the gravitas that, that Pat Kraft has. He was there for three years from, or probably two baseball seasons, maybe a three, um, and pulls a guy away who was coaching at his alma mater. Like Pat Kraft went out and got his guy. He's like, let's build the same thing we're building there. Let's build the same thing here that we were building there. And for Mike, Mike to make the jump over to state college from his alma mater, it's, I think it, I think it speaks volumes. Yeah. And I think that's huge because I mean, that's, he's willing to do whatever he wants to make every team compete on the national level. So he goes out and gets a guy that is largely successful in the, in the college in the Northeast playing in the ACC. That just in and of itself is difficult because of climate, right? You're not playing in warm weather in March or even April at Boston College. You're playing in snow, you're playing in sleet, you're playing in, in whatever, whenever you're at home. Now, obviously, it's a lot different for teams like Miami or North Carolina or Clemson that are playing the ACC and that are down south, similar to obviously Pitt, but there's that desire and that willingness to do what it takes to win and to do what it takes to compete. And that, I think, is what has endeared him to Franklin. That's what has endeared him to the university. And that's why Penn State is going to start having more and more success, not just in football and hockey and wrestling, but in every sport. And And he's getting guys that he wants there. And I think that is also something that's super important as well. Yeah, I, I I forget. I was watching the College World Series. Um there I think it was it used to be called the Capital One Cup. I don't know if it's still the Capital One Cup, but like Penn State on the men's side was number two in the Capital One Cup. And that's kind of with baseball kind of being a bastard stepchild, right? Like the baseball program's never really gotten a lot of attention. Like you mentioned about Boston playing college baseball in February, March, April. It's not good weather in Boston. It's really not any good, much better weather in Pennsylvania. So that's, it's good to get a coach who has shown success 
in that bad weather. And it shows that Pat Kraft's like, look, we need this baseball program is hemorrhaging money. I'm sure we need to get this thing successful and start driving, driving it to success. And he got the benefit of the previous coach stepping down and resigning. Um, but Pat Kraft was able to bring his guy in. It seems like he got him. And with the portal, it makes it a lot easier to go out and get the team that he wants. So I think that matters too. And it's not, listen, Penn State started the year off very, very well. Uh, and then they just laid an absolute egg towards the end of the season. Obviously, Rob Cooper resigns, but it's just one of those situations where now it's a guy that Pat Kraft wants. It's not a guy that he inherited. He went out and got him. He's committed to building those resources and continuing um, to build those things. And I think you have to kind of look at it as a way to, hey, let's see what's going to happen next. What's going to to be the best case scenario for Penn State baseball? And that's you have obviously the goal is to get to the NCAA tournament, and that's something that I I haven't quite seen that in, in quite a quite a long time from them without looking up those numbers. But again, it's possible for Northeast teams to do it, but now you just got to be able to commit to that time, to commit to to that program and i think this is the perfect first step yeah you're gonna need to commit to facilities like you you're gonna need an indoor facility if you have any inkling of uh being successful i mean ohio state and michigan do well on the softball side i know that i don't know how well they do on the baseball side but you know those programs have to have indoor state indoor practice facilities there so maybe a commitment to facilities is coming from pat Kraft to get mike mike to come but I think that's going to be the next step because you you are going to have to go out and build this thing through the transfer portal at least for the first couple of years. And, man, you're it's going to be a hard sell. It's like, yeah, it might be uh, three degrees outside. we got to go practice. And it's like, man, I hope that the inside's not a dump. So hopefully that's go, it's coming. But like we'll talk about in the third segment, it seems like Pat Kraft and really the whole administration of Penn State is really on board with building up success, not only academically, but especially athletically. Right, and I think that's the big thing. You know, obviously right now they're splitting Haluba Hall with a million other sports. And, uh, you know, in the plans for the near future, obviously there's more going on and, and more going in uh, at Penn State as far as facilities go. So that'll be important um, to see how that goes. But obviously he liked what he heard. He liked the selling point, And now he's at Penn State. And, you know, for, for Mike Gambino, I, that, it could end up being a perfect marriage. But only time will tell but we're going to come back and talk about another pseudo perfect marriage uh for the penn state athletic department when we come back for the third and final segment of the laughing out podcast Final segment of the Lashing Out Podcast, New Sports Now Network. I'm Jared. He's Kevin. Kevin, I like to listen to other podcasts. Believe it or not, I don't typically listen to what we have to say, uh, mainly because I speak it and hear it um, as we do it. Um, but one of the podcasts that you encouraged me to listen to was Next Up with Adam Brenneman. And he had a familiar face, James Franklin, who he was – um, on the roster for, I don't want to say play for, because he didn't end, actually play for Franklin because of his injuries and, and everything that went on um, for him. But he had James Franklin on his podcast. And when James Franklin speaks, he is very poignant. He has 
um, great demeanor, great tone. And they got in depth on a bunch of different topics from what he inherited here at Penn State, what he thought he was getting into, how that was different. And it was just a great overall conversation that honestly didn't involve a lot of football talk. No, it really didn't. And uh, this is definitely a free ad for Adam Brenneman's podcast. Obviously, he's a Penn State student. Uh, he was recruited by John Strollo, who we've had on in the past. Um, but he was here for two years with Franklin. He was hurt the entire time he was here. Uh, but I think the biggest takeaway I took was we talk about James Franklin. Like He just talks about the one big thing that's really going on. And he talked about that between him, the board, and the president of a university being uh, President Bendapudi, they're all three on board together. Franklin Kraft and President Bendapudi, they're all together. They all have the same goal, and it seems like they're all rowing the boat in the same direction. What I gathered from that is that with Eric Barron and with Sandy Barber, that was not the case. Everybody was pulling, was paddling the boat in different directions, and nothing was getting done. He was talking about how, like, people on campus weren't even aware that the lash building was out of was out of date because when it was built it was the cream of the crop but it's been 25 30 years and everybody else has looked at it and be like okay yeah here's what we can improve on this because it's great building block but we need to improve it and penn state just didn't understand that and now it sounds like everyone's on board it's like oh okay and then they're approving single occupancy dorms for freshmen which James Franklin talked about a prominent recruit. I get I don't know who it is, but I can only imagine it's somebody like maybe a Justin Fields who flipped excuse me, late. Where I mean it, Georgia really wasn't even on the radar and all of a sudden he flips to Georgia. So yeah, I mean from Georgia, but flipped to Georgia real late, real after being committed to Penn State for a really long time. So I don't know if it was Fields, but all signs to me pointed towards Fields. So I like that James Franklin is on board with how he feels the administration is backing him up. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you have that confidence, he signed that 10 year deal. Um, and that I think speaks volumes, not knowing that how crazy things are about to get with the presidential search and, you know, obviously Pat Kraft. So when you look at things like that, obviously things are trending in the right direction for NCAA football, but when everybody is pulling in the same direction, good things are happening. And, I, you know, you, they talked about his relationships with his players. You know, Brenneman didn't play for him. He was on the roster, obviously, but he was dealing with some injuries, ended up at UMass. But this is a guy that, no matter what, Brenneman um, and, and Christian Hackenberg, I think, are the, the pillars of, you know, Franklin winning over that team and winning over that locker room when he came in because there are so many moving pieces, so many different – things going on that were just not not great obviously uh when he inherited and that's even after bill o'brien was there so the fact that he was able to come in earn the trust of that locker room it didn't happen overnight but you know they talked about how they had been they'd gone through so many of those interim coaches through those previous couple years when they'd had the same guy for 50 years so that is a big change it's a big type of momentum switch and trying to prove to them that change is a good thing. Yeah. And you, you, you talked about Hackenberg being a pillar and I really forgot Adam Brenneman in the 2013 class was the 48th ranked recruit in the number two tight end. 
in the mm-hmm. class. Like you're talking about a guy who could probably go anywhere at the time. And he chose to go to Penn state. He was an in-state kid, so that kind of helped, but that really is the, the, the pillars that helped keep even the 2016 class together. And if you look at the 2016 class, you got Miles Sanders, Connor McGovern. You have guys that are in the NFL doing really good things. And it's probably all the credit of Brenneman, who didn't have to do any of that for Franklin. He didn't have to get the team on board with Franklin. So I, it was a really good to just recap that history because you don't really know what's going on. And they kind of peeled back the onion of what was going on in the program at that time. So, no, it was it was good to hear that coming from coming from Brenneman and then coming from Franklin as well. Plus, probably what the year before is Barkley, right? Yeah, Saquon Barkley's the it year was, before was in twenty fifteen. So yeah. that's another guy who probably doesn't come if Hackenberg and Brenneman don't do what they did. Um, well, and, and people and, and they mentioned this in the podcast, but what people don't realize is Saquon Barkley was Rutgers commit. They flipped Barkley to Penn State, and it ended up obviously, you know, the way that it did. Um, and I don't think anybody's gonna so quickly you could forget that. But is it's one of those deals where, you know, Franklin it was not pretty at the beginning. Um, it has gotten prettier, and I think the expectations are so high now that anything below nine or 10 wins is a significant disappointment, which is not always a bad thing, but you have to temper those expectations with kind of everything going on. Obviously 2020 was an anomaly, but at the same time, most of his tenure has been marked with success um, and, and success that Penn state didn't quite have um, leading up to that. But, you know, if you have the chance, listen to that after you listen to us, but I was just um, doing some research here um, in between segments uh, about Penn State baseball. Last time they were in an NCAA tournament was 2000, um, which, you know, wild. Their best college World Series finished. I know, Kevin, you remember this. Uh, it was when they finished second in 1957. Um, yep, definitely live during that. Yeah, right. Yeah, remember that when that was yesterday. Um, but – Again. It's almost almost as bad as the Final Four drought. In that 50, yeah, right? 54, I think. Well, you can't spell NIT without Nittany Lions, right? Um, or Nittany Lions without NIT. But again, having having a, a guy like Pat Kraft and, and even James Franklin. James Franklin is, is a guy that is um, obviously the highest paid person in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. But at the same time, is a guy that has to be vocal and has to speak up for the rest of the athletic department and be that, be that guy. Um, and it'll be interesting to kind of see um, what kind of success uh, the entire athletic department has. But when football is good, the rest of the athletic department is only going to reap those benefits and those rewards. So having that alignment is, is uber important. Yeah. And the other major thing that Franklin was talking about was NIL. And he's like, we're still two years behind but we're three years ahead of where we were last year. So um, I thought it was kind of funny because they were talking about the programs that were doing NIL before there was NIL. And uh, if you Mm -hmm. probably look at the leaders in NIL, uh, the most successful um, NIL conglomerates or whatever the heck you want to call them, uh, I can imagine that probably three of the top five or maybe even five of the top five are probably all 
that uh, pretty much everyone knows they were pay, play, paying players under the table. So, um, well, it's no shock that Ohio State. I think their average NIL deal is in the is in six figures. While Penn State's is just the median salary for most of Pennsylvania. Yeah, so that kind of just shows you. Uh, and, that, and that's and that's not to say anything about bad about Ohio State. That's just kind of the nature of the business right now. But that's how far Penn State is behind other teams in their conference. And that, that Big Ten conference is only going to get stronger with the addition of USC and UCLA and, you know, even Notre Dame potentially down the line. So there's a lot of, of room that Penn State has to make up. And I'm not quite sure that it'll happen overnight. But the fact that they're committed to it is at least a positive step in the right direction. Yeah, you want to talk about Ohio State and NILs. I saw this. The tweet was from June 27th. So it was a week ago. We were off last week because we're just busy people. Um, Kyle McCord, their quarterback, who hasn't even taken a stat snap yet, and we don't even know if he's going to be the starting quarterback of Ohio State, uh, signed on with a Chevrolet dealership and uh, Mark Wahlberg. And uh, somehow the Chevrolet dealership was able to get him a brand-new Mercedes. So... Uh, there are a couple of Penn Staters driving around in new Teslas, but they have the branding of the construction company on the door. Uh, Kyle McCords does not have the branding of the company on the door. So kind of just shows you where the NIL is. It's like Penn State's NIL is still really much letter of the law. You got to do this. You have to do the advertising. You got to be on the billboards. You got to show up for the autograph sessions and whatnot. And Ohio State's NIL is... Uh, uh, here's this brand new Mercedes. We'll say you're you're our athlete. You do promos for us. So, well, and and that's still the too, di- right? that's a difference of philosophy. That's all it is. And geography, right? I mean, it is much easier to sell an endorsement deal to a car dealership in Columbus than it is to sell it to Blaze Alexander or whoever in and in State College. So, I mean, geography has a little bit to do with it. Obviously, Columbus is a bigger city, and there's a lot more going on than just you know, the student bookstore or or different restaurants or, or things like that. So, you know, it it, it, it it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of this kind of plays out. But at the end of the day, we're still waiting on our NIL deals. Feel free to, to drop us what you w- wish we would have. But I think that's about all we've got for this week, Kevin. Yep, I'm tapped out. I'm going to go uh, enjoy the neighborhood uh, fireworks. It sounds like... Uh... Francis Scott Key could write the national anthem out or the Star Spangled Banner outside of my house right now. So might go uh, steal some neighbor's fireworks. Good Not luck. steal don't, them, but steal the views of them. Don't don't Jason Pierre Paul yourself, Kevin. I won't be Kevin anywhere Quigley. near him. <laughs> For Kevin Quigley, this has been Jared Pringle on the Lashing Out Podcast, Media Sports Not Network. We'll catch you again next week.